We thank you, Father, for the, the joy and the privilege of being able to gather into your presence like this. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit uh, with us and amongst us. And we pray that you will open the scriptures this morning to us, that heart and mind might grasp them more deeply, and you will also open our eyes to the world in which we live and your calling on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You were born in exile. Your family have been there 50, 60 years, a bit longer. Uh, your parents have died. They told you about your homeland. They described it to you in detail. They described to you its, its beauties and its magnificence, its fruitfulness, a land flowing with milk and honey. They described its wonderful capital city and the temple that stood in the center of it. And you've had a hunger to return to it all your life. You and your children have been brought up to long to go home. Many of your people hold this dream, but not all. You're now quite a small community, much smaller than you were. Others have just been absorbed into the predominant society around and found their way and found their place and lost what was distinctive about them. But your community have held together and you've been there half a century now, more. Strange things have happened whilst you've been there. Instead of it all becoming more remote and more distant, somehow it's all become more present and more immediate. And there have been powerful voices in your community calling you back to your roots and calling you back to the God who made you a community in the first place. And you've hung on to that. And somehow the presence of that God has seemed very real and very potent and very powerful right there in this very strange and foreign place. And now you're on your way home. Now at long, long last, the opportunity has come. The laws have been passed, the decrees made, the borders opened, passports issued, and you're on your way. It's a long trek. It's a long, hard march. But what you have in mind is coming home. Coming home to that beautiful land. Coming home to that place of your history and your roots. It's a harsh journey, but eventually you come through the wilderness, through the desert, to the crest of the, of the hills, and you look out over the, the land you'd long to see. But it's been devastated. It's not what you were promised. It's not, what, it's not the dream you held in your mind. The towns are in ruins. They're shattered, broken down. The people who live there sort of live amongst the ruins. The temple that had been described to you is such magnificence and such beauty is just a pile of rubble. There seems nothing left. 
But you're a community, you have vision, you have hope, and so you get to work. And for a while, things go well as people work together, struggle together, begin to build walls, begin to put houses together. But it's a long, hard struggle. And gradually, that sense of community purpose and that sense of vision begins to fade away. And people become more concerned with sorting themselves out, finding uh, their own sustenance, sustaining their own lives, making and carving their own way in this, in this shattered land. And somehow the vision begins to fall away. But that voice calling you back to fundamental things has not been lost. And one day this is what you hear. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voices like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call to me and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Hear am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointed finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, 
like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in your Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. <clears throat> Thank you, Isaiah. Um, do take a seat. <laughs> That's shattering stuff, isn't it? It's the most extraordinarily powerful piece of prose. And in imagination, we, we can sense the uh, anguish that it's both with which it is delivered and the anguish with which it is received in Jerusalem at this time. It's received, it's heard, heard by a broken community. It's heard by a community that's fast losing its cohesion, fast losing its common purpose, where its vision is in danger of slipping through the fingers and being lost. And yet its power and its call to righteousness and to justice amongst the people is so powerful that it overwhelms, really. How can these things come to be? How can our society be called back to such a way of living? It's full of, if this, then what? Then what will follow? If you want this sense of God's blessing and presence, his unfolding purpose in, in your community, then it has to go with this passionate commitment and realization of righteousness and justice in the community. Is not this real fasting, says the Lord, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him, then your light will shine forth. In the next section, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, then the Lord will guide. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, then you will find joy in the Lord. But how can society ever be turned around? How can this broken community in which we live, how can it ever be turned around? In a sense, this uh, powerful appeal almost digs the pit deeper. It's an interesting phase in, in Bible history because 
the, the vision of hope and the vision of expectation is, is so extraordinary. There are amazing passages of which this is just one. But the disappointment rests underneath it of living in a society where these things are not true, where these things are still elusive. One of the most haunting verses in the Old Testament is a few chapters later in chapter 64, the beginning of that, of chapter 64. And the, the, the prophet there says, Oh, addressing God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Oh, that we could find our way out of this conundrum, out of this bitter disappointment, that we could find our way out of this fragmented community in which we live to a place where at long last it seems to come together. It really seems to happen. Oh God, that you would tear the heavens apart. You would come down and sort it. These extraordinary passages go with a sense of dismay almost, of longing, of hoping, but of deep disappointment. And other passages, we're familiar with these passages so much, speak of the promise, the longing, the anticipation that in due time God will rend the heavens, come down and address it. And the people will have a new heart, a new spirit within them. There will be a new covenant. In a sense, we'll be able to start this great adventure, this great project again. But now the hearts of human beings will be different. There will be a new kind of covenant, a new kind of bond between men and women and, and God. Oh, that you would just tear the heavens apart and come down and help us. I think we know what this feels like. I think even as believers living in our current society, we know what this disappointment feels like. And we know the sense of longing and frustration and disappointment and the longing that somehow God would rend the heavens open and come down and something really would shift the situation on and would really move it forward. And we would have some sense of God's purpose happening and of society beginning to express the righteousness and the justice that we would long to see. My problem is, as yours as well, is that I'm woven into the injustice in many, many ways. Not only is my society broken, but I'm broken. I'm part of the injustice and part of the corruption of my society. I'm compromised in all kinds of ways. There's a distressing ease with which I allow myself to profit and to be comfortable from the injustice of our world. Have the heavens been torn apart and has God come down? Can humanity return from exile and find the promised land? Can justice and righteousness flourish? This is the Christian perspective on this Old Testament 
story, this Old Testament reality. That yes, the heavens have been torn apart and God has come down. And yes, justice and righteousness is possible. And no, it is not yet fully in grasp. It is not yet fully in our hands. We live, as you've heard so many times, between the already but the not yet of what God is doing. Luke chapter 4, another passage we read a lot, where Jesus uh, comes to Nazareth. He quotes at length, not this passage, but one just three chapters later, Isaiah 61. And there he places himself at the heart of this longing and at the heart of this anguished disappointment and says he is the one who is bringing freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, enabling the lame to walk, bringing the year of God's, God's favor. Yes, the heavens have been torn and God has come down. And this is the mandate for Jesus' ministry to bring humanity, bring humankind through to a, a new place of restoration to God where this kind of justice and righteousness can begin to happen. But it is also a not yet situation because these things will not be fully known, fully experienced until God's kingdom comes in its fullness. This is not something that we can create. This is not something that is our, dependent on our uh, zealous uh, participation to, to bring it about. It's God's gift and it's his work and it has begun to unfold in the coming of Christ amongst us. And so it becomes the mandate for Jesus' ministry Repent and believe the gospel is his cry and as demonstration of this coming day of justice and freedom, he heals the sick, he raises the dead, he brings new life and new hope to a broken society and he offers himself in totality for its healing on the cross. Will we see such transformation? Yes and no. But we are in a new place a different place to where Isaiah's hearers stood. The heavens have been torn open and God has come down. We are engaged in this. We are invited as the words of Isaiah, we can take it ourselves, we can begin to work with them, we can begin to live them out as many of us do in different aspects of our lives. I just read this morning the Street Angels reports for Friday night and Saturday night this week, and there was mayhem on the streets of Guildford, evidently, in a way we haven't seen for quite a long time, with students celebrating the end of exams and the end of the year, and it was a colorful scene out there. And Street Angels were there, caring. Tonight, in our evening service, we'll hear from Ali and Amy Jones working on mercy ships. Uh, around various parts of West Africa, bringing training and healing uh, in many societies there. We know of the work of Roxy and Eddie Fuchs up in Sheffield, extraordinary and courageous work, working sensitively and carefully uh, with issues around violence against, domestic violence against women. Ruth Sayers down in Devonport uh, in Plymouth, 
working with the church there in uh, an incredibly dis disheartened and discouraged community. Many of us are dug in locally in, in different ways, uh, in, in ministries of mercy and compassion and justice. The, the call of Isaiah, I think, has to be seen in the light of that decisive intervention of God in Jesus, where the kingdom of God is inaugurated in a new way and where the healing of human community and society and of human life becomes possible in, with, with new profundity. That's where we stand now. And that's where the call of Isaiah reaches us, not in the rather desperate and desolate situation uh, in which he spoke it, but in a new situation of anticipation and hope and expectation, the other side of Jesus, the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection. Become a disciple of the man from Nazareth. Open your life to his transforming touch. Participate in his ministry of remaking the world and establishing justice and bringing his kingdom. That's where we are now. It's about the food bank, it's about CAP, it's about the chaplaincy, it's about street angels, about the work of YMCA, it's about our workplaces day by day, it's about our friendships, it's about the communities we work in, it's about the various uh, uh, courses about life and, it, and, it's, and how we can conduct it well that we run here at St. Saviour's. So, let's hear again. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. In a moment, we're going to have a short time of reflection. Ollie's going to play the cello for us and will give us a bit of space uh, just to reflect on this scripture and our, where we find ourselves in it. Let's first of all just say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>